We've been sold all this BS from tech companies that's influenced the folks that we report to, and it's such nonsense. Hello there, listener. You are very welcome to Good Copy, Bad Copy, the B2B copywriting podcast. This is episode 93, and we'll be talking about how to get the insights you need from other departments to create good B2B content. Maureen Blanford has written a whole book about it, and we'll have an interview for you in just a moment. Plus, a fleet analyst at a maintenance company tackles the Anonymous Five. My name's David Maguire. I'm creative director at Radix Communications. And our guest co-host for this episode, brace yourself, is Quantex's new demand generation manager for EMEA. Formerly of B2B marketing and sharper B2B, it's Adam Harper. Hey, Adam. Hi, David. Long time listener, first time caller. How are you doing? <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. It's great to get you uh, on the show at last. It's taken a while, right? <laughs> yeah, we kind of ran out of other options. Oh, uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> if, if in doubt, you've always got a nice last resort, right? Yeah, yeah, we've always got you as a fallback. You know that. Um, how are things with Quantexa? New new job, all, all change for you. And under lockdown. It's, it's weird to actually be doing marketing and not just talking about it all day. So, you know, everyone who's been telling me how hard it is, you know, I can say, yeah, you're right. Fair enough. Can't argue with that one. <laughs> And, and and so tell us a bit about the new role. Yeah, so Context is quite interesting. So it's only four and a half coming up to five years old. So it's um, in sort of the banking sector. But luckily, I'd like to think we're on the good side. So we do things to sort of help regulation and compliance, particularly around things like money laundering and fraud. So we're helping you know banks and governments catch the bad guys, whether they be, you know, your kleptocrats or your terrorist cells or your human traffickers, you know, we're after them. So as long as you trust me, everything's fine from now on. It's all good. Right. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure we can trust you. I'm sure that I'm sure that's fine. Adam, do you want to do your co-host duties and tell the listener where they can get in touch? Sure, definitely. So listeners, uh, if you have any comments, any questions or suggestions for us, you can contact the show by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or you can find us on Twitter. I-X-C-O-M, Reddit's Nice job. I am looking forward to this one. Uh, I've known Maureen for a while and she is absolutely one of my top tier favourite B2B marketers. Mostly because compared to anyone else, she does not take any prisoners <laughs> at all. Um, and, you know, she's talking about a topic that is really relevant to me right now, someone starting a new job. And actually for everyone in marketing, it's something that we all do badly and all should do more about, which is to really go and gather and get insights from other departments in your organisation and make them useful. Um, and knowing Maureen, she will have a lot to say about that. <laughs> oh, she really, really does. So Maureen's actually just published a free book about this, which she, she's called Moats and Drawbridges, The Current State of B2B Cross-Functional Insight Sharing. Look at I said that in one go without even putting my teeth in. Um, so when I talked to her about it, I had to start with the obvious question. Moats and Drawbridges. Where'd you come up with a name like that? I love that question. Um, and it's funny because I really had this book mostly kind of coalesced in, in 2016, 2017 and just left it 
um, because I could not find an angle. You know, it was very kind of academic about each of the four functional areas have insights the others need. Um, but really, when I've just come back to it in the last year and, and started speaking more on the topic and then doing my research, um, it occurred to me that really the functional areas are, are unintentionally um, kind of surrounded by, by moats and our communication channels to each other are not good. They're ad hoc. Um, sales and marketing is probably the best at it and, and, and those organizations aren't that great at it anyway. So it was really kind of that visual came to me and it was actually really helpful um, because it helped me um, organize uh, kind of the before and after, the, the current state, and then how do we get to the, to the desired state. That's where that came from. Sure, sure. So the four functional areas that that we're talking about are uh, product, marketing, sales, and success. Mm-hmm. Is that's right? And and um and and the book is about well, why aren't why aren't they talking to each other? Why are they not good at, at, at sharing the information that everybody needs? A- absolutely. And and the funny thing is it hasn't really occurred to most organizations. Like really the ones we talk about are sales and marketing alignment. Um, and often that becomes what, how many leads came in and how many were rejected and where are we in pipeline and um, what's the number that we need and what's the gap and what's missing. Like that's really what's been behind sales and marketing alignment. Um, and the, the tools are, are mostly okay for that. You know, marketing automation is mature enough. CRM is mature enough. But, but when you think about the insights that product gets during, during their day, their week, their month, whatever period. So product is in the tool. They're seeing the parts of the tools that are, that are being used and the parts that aren't, that people are struggling with or just not, they don't know about. Um, you, they, do, they do focus groups. They do user experience testing. Um, and, and how much of that ever gets communicated to marketing, sales, and success. Um, what's then even better, think about like success on the other end. So, so we're, we're maybe a little bit more mature when it comes to like customer support, but probably we'd argue that that's not that great either. But think about all the times your success person is interfacing with the customer and hearing what's going well and what could be going better. And then think about if you took the insights that success person was hearing at the coal face with the customer mm. and, and match them up to what product was seeing to see if there's any any trends that we should see or help us understand if there's a part of the product not being used. Is it because it's not valued or is it because it's hard to use or is it because people don't know about it? So if we haven't done that collaboration, we may make decisions in our product roadmap that are based on just kind of a, a siloed perspective of what is or isn't working. And I could go on all day about all, as I'm sure you could, as we start to think <laughs> about what what the functional area humans are, are hearing on a day-to-day basis that would be great um, to compare to see is this trinkets or is it trash? You know, is it is it treasure or junk? Yeah, absolutely. I think kind of in organizations of all sizes, you kind of get the point where, you know, um, someone in sales or in success, you know, has had one or two conversations about a thing and they've gone, 
this is a theme. Everybody's speaking 100%. about this. And actually, it just happens that the nature of randomness is that they've had two conversations in a row about the same thing. And the person that had that conversation happens to be the one that's most forthcoming with the with, with the information to everyone else. And, and so there's a, that nice... Um, example in the book about how you know suddenly you're 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 going off. We're doing this based upon the insights, and it's like, is it though? Is is that really what's what's happening? And <laughs> I'm aware that we only ha- we only have a few minutes, so I don't want to you know light the blue touch paper too much. But a lot of the stuff that you that you're talking about there seems to be sounds like. It's the same things that some of the sales and CRM marketing automation vendors talk about. Like the tech people, they go, oh, wouldn't it be great if all of your salespeople knew all the trends from what your service people were were talking about and all of that? And they say they do that. Yep. They say they do that. Yeah. But when you dig into it, and, and here is where tech needs to be talking to their customers more, because how many... How many organizations around the world on a weekly basis have terrific sales leaders who are saying, could you all please update Salesforce or your, or whatever CRM you have? Mm-hmm. So the human behavior, yeah. um, the, the tech puts a lot of onus on the humans um, to be machinating things in a certain way um, that the humans are not inclined to do and leaders are not inclined to insist on. Um, so, so the reality of what's happening in all our organizations is, is very different. And we've all, because we don't have these insights, we've all experienced in whatever functional area, a CEO coming back from a customer event, a head of sales who's saying we can't win any deals without X, Y, Z, um, or, um, you know, I'm not sure that success does it, but I would say that, that, that C-level folks and heads of sales are probably the, the, the biggest guilty parties and insisting that we must do something differently because they spoke to one person. (laughs) Yes. And I think that a lot of the time you'll still get someone who, um, you know, will come back and they'll go, well, you should be able to do this stuff already because we bought that thing, you know, and now they, and now, because that's what box, it said yeah. on the box that it does. Now they yes. assume you and can it's, do this. And part of, part of what's going on there, this is a little bit of, of three levels of complex. So I'll oversimplify. The tech founder ecosystem, which you've heard me rail against, the tech founder <laughs> once, ecosystem once or twice. is, so, <laughs> they are so loud and so influential, and their messages are so bad, but it impacts the leadership that we report to. And the reason their messages are so bad is because tech founders have spent every waking and sometimes sleeping moment, every waking moment, trying to appease VCs to get a funding agreement over the line. And guess what? What appeases VCs, what turns on VCs, I don't know if that's not appropriate for work, um, but what turns on VCs is has nearly nothing to do with what buyers need or, or customer experience. Mm. And so we've been sold all this BS um, from tech companies that's influenced, you know, the, the folks we that, that we report to. And it's it is such nonsense. And I, by one of my favorite stories, I, I won't name any, any names, but she's the head of marketing for fintech um, in London, she actually had her CEO had a had a partner who had monetized like some Instagram like thing like 
clothes that they were wearing to pick up children or whatever. And then like ask this head of marketing to like that they should have an Instagram channel because his partner had found some success. (laughs) So that's batshit crazy, but we all deal with that on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone listening is, is, is nodding hard because, you know, <laughs> I think we've all seen things that and, and experienced things that are, um, you know, analogous to, to that. I think everyone has their their, their own story like that, but that, that's a, a great one. So practically, as people who are, you know, engaged in getting all of this uh, insight together so that we can make content that actually means something, um, to to the audience. How do we actually go about that? Yes, that's hard, isn't it? Um, so in chapter nine, um, and really the second half of the book, I talk about, about the model that we all want. Um, and in chapter nine, I lay out some steps, um, actually chapter eight as well. Um, and the thing that I recommend, so we really need executive buy-in here, but even without it, so even if you have suboptimal tech, even if you don't have exec buy-in, Um, Even if you don't have total agreement with your colleagues, there's still a lot that you can do to gather and structure insights um, with with the other functional areas. And I lay that out. But really, in a nutshell, it is um, it is this that you have to start really small because you're you're building new new skills. You're building skills. Your colleagues are building skills. And all of this will seem very strange to people because anything new is often perceived as very strange. Um, But really, it's decide together with another functional area, what are the two or three things you want to you want to look into? So I always use product as an example, Um, like we talked about earlier. So product sees an underutilized area of the um, of the tech. Um, Let's say it's account planning tech um, and people aren't using the very good political apps portion of that. Um, It may be because they don't know about it or they haven't been trained or it's too hard or whatever. So what I would do is I would try and get some product utilization data from product um, in a couple of categories and then ask your success people to do the same. Look for the same. Ask customers when they're with them, A, B, and C. Um, And then you can also, marketing could then start to look at those topic areas, you know, doing some, some on some keyword search. And then you've got three functional areas comparing two or three data points to kind of see what their next step should be for each one of the areas. So maybe success realizes they need to spend more time training on that and marketing needs to do more content, making sure that it addresses the objections upstream and product realizes that they need to build into their roadmap some better path to that part of the product. Mm. And that is something any of us can do today. The thing that you mentioned there about structure, it's structuring that unstructured data that's, that's, that's the important thing, right? That's 100% it. And it, this process will also help with the stuff that's actually structured. So marketing gets a lot of structured stuff coming in. So even if we don't have great systems, we can know by persona, by topic, by channel, what might seem to be resonating. Um, we might get a lot of questions from a webinar um, that that is less structured, but can be map- mapped up against the structured. Mm. The other functional areas aren't outside of product and like user focus groups, where, where those are pretty well structured, but the other ones, these are just ad hoc. And mm-hmm. salespeople in particular ask such great questions and they get such great insights and none of us can touch those or see them or hear them except through the filter of a salesperson and their experience of the thing. So 
all of this, the collaborating on the, the structuring, the unstructured, the collaborating on that once it's structured, um, is all really helpful for us to kind of knit those functional areas together in more of a tapestry than they are now. And in order to kind of get the, into the practice of doing that and get the muscle memory of doing it, what you're saying is kind of you start with... Find a question. Start with a question. Find a question that you'd like to know the answer to and then kind of jump on there. I mean, I, th- I think that's an um, an interesting one. So you kind of look, look around in the mass of unstructured stuff that you have for something that looks interesting and then try and find a way of getting a structured answer to that question in the the unstructured a hundred percent pile of insights mm-hmm. that you have a hundred percent that's exactly it that's where you start i'm one of the things that i i really like um about the book is how realistic it is you know where you've kind of got uh, you know i think expect it to be messy <laughs> you know and i think that you know that the the listener i think you know could well be going you know this sounds great, but I know that getting this stuff out of sales, getting this stuff out of product or, or you know, the success team, you know, it's going to be <laughs> painful, you know, and, and, I, and I guess what you're saying is, yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And that's the thing, irrespective of the book or this particular topic. Um, it's it's one of the things that I that I kind of learned and honed with my with my team in Amsterdam, and that was to welcome feedback and criticism. Um, it's one of the big things I coach my my teams on, and that is people are really uncomfortable with something that feels a little ouchy, um, and so we tend to avoid the things that feel a little ouchy. Um, and really, in in collaboration, we we need that. We need to feel. We need to be safe saying our opinions, um, and we also need to 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 be okay with people saying, "Hey, maybe you didn't think of this." And so, overall, that is some some business skill and just personal development. I think everyone um, could get better at. So, I'd like to kind of call that out because I think if you're expecting it, if you're expecting it to be hard, if you're expecting the friction, the healthy friction. Um, it feels less ouchy when you bump up against it. Is that something that's a, um, a, a perceived or a real issue for marketers specifically more than others? Or is it is it everyone? You know, where, you know, once upon a time, in some places not so long ago, maybe in some places now, you know, marketing was the colouring in and blowing up balloons department, right? Um, and, I th- and I think even where that's not true, some marketers still have that, maybe slight inferiority thing going on where it feels hard to ask you know the the proper departments right. yeah. <laughs> to have hard conversations yeah. or am i wrong about that or is or is it actually everybody's feeling you know that? i'm not sure i can i'm not sure i can speak to everybody i certainly know that that's a personal relationship thing one of the one of the personal sphere um, analogies I use all the time with organizations, um, and especially when I'm kind of teaching this cross collaboration and mining, is there's a great analogy for marriage or really any kind of you know personal partnership, but a rock tumbler. So when you're when you're in a you know your your main relationship, um, you're in a rock tumbler, and I don't know if that's a thing everywhere. Like it's a thing that kids play with in the U.S. So. Yeah, I'm not. Okay, quite so I'll tell you what it is. What so, rock tumbler is, is basically <laughs> this this 
toy or I don't know, maybe other people use it, but you jam rocks in it and it tumbles, tumbles. It makes some terrible noises. But then like after the process, the rocks are polished. Um, and so in talking oh. about marriage being a rock tumbler, you're there, you know, kind of bumping up against somebody all the time. Um, and with that friction, you kind of polish each other's rough edges. So when I am talking internally about, um, about collaboration, um, as long as people don't have malintent, um, someone just questioning you, hey, did you think of this? That feels frictiony, but what that really does is it, it helps all of us kind of polish our rough edges and, and sharpen our saws, even though I'm mixing metaphors there. Um, but so I do think it's human nature to, to not enjoy the friction. And thinking about yourself kind of, you know, as someone that's, that's creating content and, and, and putting uh, messages out in the world, can I ask you why you have chosen to do this in the way that you have you know a lot of people will publish a, a, a physical book um you know you've gone with um a turtle that people i believe can access Absolutely. for free i think and, and we and we talk a lot about turtle on this podcast and people will think that i'm getting connection and i i promise you <laughs> promise you that i'm not um but um what was it about that format and that that kind of broadly available online approach that appealed to Yes, you. so there's two. So this is my second book. It's taken me a while to get the second book out. Um, but the first book I published traditionally. Um, and you're, um, you don't make money on books. Um, so, the, so, and there is some ego, I think, in having a paper book with your name on it. Um, and I did not feel that the second time around that I needed that. Um, and also, I'm, I'm not um, a paid advocate of Turtle. I'm just a fan. But who boy, um, as a customer of Turtle for the past couple of years, I have flippin' loved the fact that, you know, you're not making a print thing that's out there in the world um, and you see a typo and you want to blah, blah. So there are a couple of reasons I went with Turtle. Once I knew that I wanted to do an ebook and I didn't really care about charging for it, um, because I really, I so believe in this model and so believe in transformation and really wanted to do something that was consumable and actionable. I wanted people to get through it and to be able to start acting on it as soon as they could. I do want them to understand like how we got to where we are anyway. Um, so then it became, um, in talking with the folks at Turtle about, about what we could do, that became, you know, better than any other, for me, any other kind of ebook option. Um, and then the fact that it makes it so easy to share, um, because I do want people, I've got a hashtag insight harnesser. Um, I do, yeah, yeah. I so I do that. want people to join the conversation and have a place where they can go online to share what's worked, maybe what hasn't worked and, and build a little bit of a community of folks who are trying to do this really hard, but meaningful work. And is that something that's kind of live now? He says when this is, this is going to be out end of February. Um, yes, absolutely. So we'll we'll be releasing the book. So we're recording end of January. We're releasing the book um, February first, um, and already starting to use the hashtag. Great. So people can get involved in the the conversation. Absolutely. There and and and, and share um, examples and probably you know just as importantly pick up other people's examples about 
Ideally, yes. And hopefully people will share because this is hard work. And if someone has a, you know, I don't have all the answers for how to work well with your cross-functional colleagues. um, And I certainly don't have all the answers on how to best structure unstructured data. Um, So I want to learn from people as well. So if people want to uh, check out the book for themselves, learn a bit about this, is it best to kind of go to the hashtag or is there a particular uh, website? Where do they find out more about this? Um, actually, um, so one of the places that they can get the link is at maureenblanford.com. Great. So maureenblanford.com or go on to Twitter for Insight Harnesses. Great. Thank you so much. It's um, just always, uh, always a pleasure. Um, uh, right back at you, man. Thanks for having me and, and love having these conversations with like-minded folks. Thanks, Maureen. That was a blast as ever. And of course, we'll put links in the show notes to the book and the Insight Harnesser hashtag too. Adam, what stood out for you there? There was a lot to unpack in this, right? This is a, a big a topic. Uh, I wonder if the listeners will have the same journey through it as I did. You hear the topic and you think, yeah, we're doing that. You know, that's that's something that, you know, I've, I've done in the past. And then you hear what it actually means and you're like, ah, okay, maybe not so much. And then you, you know, hear questions though. How often do you hear a salesperson ask, you know, has Salesforce been updated? And it's like, yeah, that's the bane of my life for a while before. Uh So, um, yeah, it's one of these things where it was interesting to hear it and sort of get the scale of the challenge Maureen was setting out. Because it feels like Mm -hmm. something that should be obvious and easy. But when you frame it in the way that, you know, you do and how businesses are sort of built organically, it's it's a completely different beast to what you expect it to be, right? Yeah. And I kind of... Um, I feel like maybe it's a thing just with some marketers, but I, you know, I, I, I feel it's a thing where as a department, it's hard sometimes for marketing to kick that off, you know, because in some areas, you know, the engineers maybe don't like marketing, sales maybe don't like marketing, you know, and it's just like, oh, I'm being asked to do something fluffy. You know, because that 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 you know, that's maybe how they how they 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 think of it sometimes. Do you think it, it, a lot of it depends upon marketing's position in the organisation, or not so much? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, if people who know me will know that marketing's position in the organisation is one of my uh, real missions that I'm always talking about. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> and so I'm always going to go to my head. I think there is sort of a, a standoff at play between those four departments on who can sort of go first and i do think marketing should in an ideal world be in that perfect position in the sort of center of the business holistically to make these things happen like it should be the one with the 360 view of the customer so to speak so it should be pulling these insights from the others and being the engine in which this cross department insight happens and then is used uh, but you're right like historically in b2b businesses marketing necessarily doesn't have the gravitas to pull that off at the moment and they have to really figure out what they can do to gain the trust of of these people in sales in particular and then customer success and product um my thought about these things is something that i've said about a few other things is you have to bring something to the table first that no one else could get that they will find useful you really have to sort of go out of your way in that very first instance to start gaining that trust through that that sort of process in my opinion so is that what you're doing in your new job? Uh, that's sort of the plan. So I'm working on figuring <laughs> out what that is. Um, right. One thing I do think is interesting coming to a younger company as it is now is I think you do have a 
slight advantage compared to maybe some of your more established competitors in your space because those walls and those moats and drawbridges aren't quite as deep and they aren't quite as armed as they would be so Mm -hmm. it's a bit easier and often like i get the feeling a lot of b2b startups are started by experts from other places that have for some way either by hook or by crook figured out one of these pieces of, of insight that sits across a business but they've not been in a position to action it and they figured out it's more effective for them to take that somewhere else and start again and then, you know, kick the arse of the people that haven't figured it out yet. And you see it time and time again. So, you know, I think that's an advantage you have is often your C-suite are based on some initial piece of cross-dimensional insight that really works for them and really works for the marketplace. I mean, it might be a piece of cross-dimensional insight or in some cases, someone in the C-suite, you know, the story... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about about the CEO going, we need to be on Instagram, you know, because uh, because my partner likes Instagram, you know, w- was something I think, you know, a lot of marketers can relate to, I think. Everyone's a marketer, right? Have you, have you been in a situation where a senior manager insisted on something completely random based on a single conversation or something like that? Kind of. I'd say my... My previous uh, sort of experience is slightly different because those conversations were had with expert marketers. So obviously my old bosses ran a media company about expert B2B marketing best practice. So if they had a good conversation, it was generally quite a good conversation that at least had some kernels of truth. And we needed to figure out if it was relevant to us. And I think that's often the different thing is, you know, marketing isn't this facsimile across every business. It is it should be completely different and unique to your circumstance. So making sure people understand that context to make sure it actually is relevant to you and not just a good idea is, is the trickier bit. I was so hoping you were going to come up with a, a story about something crazy you'd been asked to do. There must be something mad you've been asked to do. Um, yeah, but, Spell. yeah, but the people, that, the people that suggested it will probably listen to this. That's the hard part, David. Um, <laughs> Oh, change the names to protect the innocent and, and, and tell me what you were asked to do. Go on. So there was one instance where uh, we decided to go with a DM campaign with some personalised video cards, which turn up as DM and you open them and the video plays. Um, sure. Which, you know, isn't a bad thing in and of itself, but you need to really think about what those messages is and how you respond to that marketplace. Um, I think in the end, we had more inquiries about how these marketers could buy and sell their own versions of these video cards than we had inquiries into what the video was about. Um, because, you know, we just didn't, we hadn't thought about how to contextualize those things for us. We'd just seen someone else that had a good idea and we tried to copy it. So I think the agency that helped us run it, they made loads of business selling more of those video cards, but we didn't, we didn't get much out of it. <laughs> Everybody loves those cards. And the funny thing is that all of those people were doing the exact same thing as you did, right? Just kind of, these cards are great. I've got to be able to use them for something. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Shiny things, right? <laughs> uh, the other thing I liked what Maureen said, you know, was talking about the the lie that has been sold by the content cabal and, and the MarTech world, which uh-huh. uh, if you haven't seen Maureen talk about that before, you should. It's a call to arms. You will want to get up and fight. You'll want to find the barricades. Absolutely worth it. Um, it's brutal. I saw I saw it at Intex standing in front of like the UK CEO of HubSpot taking down MarTech. And it was just like, wow, at a conference about MarTech. I'm pretty sure I was sat next to you and we were both looking at each other like, is is this a dream? Is someone actually saying these things in public? <laughs> yeah, the amount of like quietly nodding heads during that session, they're like, it's, 
it's a real movement that we need to get behind, in my opinion. Um, but I think one of the things we're really seeing, and, and I've seen it in a lot of, of conversations I've had with marketing people, is they say that their CEO gets marketing now, and that's a great thing. Um, but I think that there's a challenge in that is that, you know, really they don't know what marketing actually is and what it does. They think that marketing buys these boxes and then reads the side and then magic comes out and leads come out and the business grows, which we all know isn't true. I mean, the greatest lie the devil ever told is that marketing automation automates your marketing. So we really <laughs> need to, you know, make sure that we set those expectations. So we, you know, have to challenge that. So like account-based marketing is a great example. You know, you speak to lots of people sure. and their, their CEOs are loving the idea of account-based marketing but they don't actually know what it is or what it means in practice. So you have to sort of set those expectations of what actually does it mean to be a great marketer in that B2B organization? And if you're mm. going to have the gravitas to make these cross-functional insights work, often you will need the backing of some senior stakeholders. So you're going to have to figure out how to talk to them about actually marketing should have two ears and one mouth, and that's the right ratio of activity. Um, mm. And therefore, we need to be actually going to listen and then telling the business what the customer says to make sure that the whole business improves as a result. Um, and, you know, in some businesses which don't have a history of marketing doing that, that can be a really difficult conversation to have. Uh, this is sort of more personal thought for me, I guess, uh, someone who's sort of six weeks into a new job at the moment. I think, you know, when Maureen says that, you know, mark, people, and particularly marketers, I find, don't like the ouchy bits, uh, I could relate to that. I think one thing you do see about marketers is they're generally quite agreeable people and it's a great thing yeah. and they're some of the nicest, chattiest, gregarious people you know. But often when it comes to you know real creation yeah. of friction in a business, which often you need to really drive some change, it's not something we're all particularly good at. Um, I liked to think I was until I had to do it and then I found it tough. So you know you have to sort of grin and bear it and make it happen, trusting that you're doing the right thing. And that's, you know, not always the easiest. Um, as someone sort of six weeks into a job, actually, I think it's made me really think about how I've spent these first six weeks because as much as you want to sort of settle in and make sure people like you, actually, that's not been the right approach. And I'm now going to have to try and change track. Is I do have this opportunity to, to ask what I'm going to call sort of supposedly stupid questions of the business, which might sound stupid but if people don't have good answers to them then actually it's quite a profound thing that could start driving these change but if you've been somewhere six months a year two years the you know the opportunity and the way you can ask that question is is so much tougher like it's quite a unique yeah, chance to get right in day one so that that license to you know as someone that you know is external and writes content that license to be the one that doesn't know anything is a precious that it's a superpower you know the the, the you know the, the license that I have that a marketer doesn't have. You know when when someone's waxing lyrical, oh, it's got a triple widget flangulator. You know, and and I can go, why is that good? You know, or some you know like that, and and I, I, because I don't have that level of assumed knowledge. The other thing is that when I do a, a messaging workshop, people will bring us in, and I'll be in there with sales and uh, you know and, and marketing and product and service sometimes senior leadership, all of these things. And I'll ask them really basic stuff like, who buys your stuff? Why do they buy your stuff? When they don't buy your stuff, what do they do instead and why? You know, what do your customers actually spend their time thinking about? Why do they choose you? You know, this kind of stuff. And people will, at the end of those conversations, even before I've written up the messaging, they'll be leaving the room, looking at each other and going, 
Why haven't we talked about that before? Because it's assumed that people sort of know and, and it takes someone, either somebody external or somebody new, to almost have permission to ask really big, stupid, so what and prove it level questions. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely an echo chamber sort of effect within businesses like we you talk about it a lot as marketers is that just because you're tired of your marketing communications and collateral it's because you're in it every day for eight yeah. hours a day your customers are not mm. yeah it's it's definitely something i've been thinking about but not had a great framework on how to make those things happen and actually mm. you know having a look at most of drawbridges as i have in the last sort of day or two i think maureen's got some really good ideas which i'm going to try and sort of put together and sort of use in my business actually in particular one of the ideas that i really liked was um you know ab- about building muscle memory for doing this stuff so it's almost like picking a question that you want to know the answer to. And it might be you as a marketer or it might be that product want the answer to that some you know that someone else and i'm working it out where where in your organization is the answer to this question but start with a question then pick another one then pick another one so one of the things that I did, I don't know what question you'd ask, um, but one of the things that, that I did was, you know, I, I asked um, people on, on LinkedIn and Twitter, you know, I said, you know, if you had a magic mirror and you could ask one question about your audience, your product, your content, whatever, what would it be? And we had um, uh, Paul wear a mask and wash your hands. And, you know, we'd ask our customers what signals they listen to amongst all the noise in their life. And Ian Truscott from Rockstar CMO. There are other podcasts, it turns out. Who knew? Um, but he said, you know, so many, it might seem hackney, but from a content perspective, I would genuinely ask how we can help, what they would find useful right now. You know, and that's a thing that that, that was that was repeated across the channels. You know, Wendy Clack said, How can I make you look good in, in front of your boss? And you know, uh, Matt Dodgson said, you know, what's stopping you from buying? Um, uh, Gregory Hooven um, at MarketReach was saying, you know, who and where do you go to for, to source recommendations on products and services? Uh, Samuel Armondi was saying, you know, what's the last work thing you thought of just before you, you fell asleep? Uh, or Sam Batstone at Creation Agency was like, what always makes you first look at an ad or a a piece of content and Kate Rowe, like what would inspire you and lift your heart? You know, another one from uh, Syed Hasib Ahmed, you know, what keeps you awake at night? The thing that I find really interesting about that is that I asked really broad questions. You could find out anything to do with your business. And what everybody wants to know is what is the customer thinking? Definitely. It's almost like what's a thing that's gone unsaid and they're waiting for someone to say it in the same way that we talked about, you know, Maureen talking about, you know, the MarTech world, and as soon as you hear someone say it, you just think, "Thank you, thank you." Someone's finally said it, and if you can, you know, be the people to understand what that is, like, there's no greater piece of insight, as far as I could tell. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and those insights come from everywhere, right? You know, like your service people are going to be able to tell you what's pissing the customer off. You know, your salespeople, like the question I always ask a salesperson in a briefing is, because they will know, and, you know, those of us that have worked in sales, you know, I have, I know you have as well, um, you know, you know that if you do your, not your patter, but, you know, you know your sales arguments, 
you know there are certain things you say in the conversation that make the lights go on behind someone's eyes. You know wh- what those arguments are. And they aren't always the thing that marketing will lead on. You know, so sales will know that stuff, you know, as well. Um, you know, and there are so many ways that you can kind of pick up little um, proxies for talking to the customer. You know, but ultimately, I think talking to the customers the most important thing you can do. True, but on the flip side, I think Maureen makes the point really well that you actually need to have this framework to make sure that you understand those sort of things in context. Um, mm. There's nothing more dangerous than, than a little knowledge and there's nothing more dangerous than anecdata, right? Like yeah. one, one story isn't data and two stories are not data. So you need to understand where that is and the challenge is, is you hear it in B2B business all the time. If you're a marketer and you turn up with data and no story, you're going to lose to a single story and it comes to a, any sort of debate around you know, how we approach things. So mm. you need to get hold of those stories and figure out, is this a one-off for this one customer and it'd be really dangerous to go down that path anymore? Or is this a trend that we've missed? Or is actually this only half of the trend that we've missed and we need to enrich it and figure out something else to really make this thing work? Um, and that is something that you can only do when you take stories and then you take wider data that might sit in the product team and, you know, the UX studies, or it might sit in customer success and all the stuff they've done. And it might sit somewhere in, you know, your marketing automation software, but you need to go and put it all together and figure out what that sort of bigger story is and then have the data behind it to prove it as well. That's when, you know, you, your CFO and your CEO sort of, their ears prick up and then you can start to really affect real change. One of the ways you can find out insights by your audience is to, you know, ask them direct and impertinent and sometimes rude questions. Uh, speaking of which, it's time for Anonymous 5, where the people behind our key B2B personas give us their brutally honest answers that they just couldn't share in public. That's right. And this month, we're talking to a fleet analyst at a UK-based maintenance company. Question one. What is the biggest misconception that people have about your job? That I drive vehicles. I do occasionally do this, but it's rare. Or that I know anything about vehicles and can help with their car problems. I definitely can't. Question two. How much of an impact are things like electric vehicles really having on your day-to-day? Absolutely huge. What we have found is that electric car companies such as Tesla are not geared to sell to a business or to have multiple vehicles on an account. This is changing, but their business-to-business service has been terrible, and it has made a massive amount of additional work for us. That said, we are committed to a fully electric fleet by 2025, and in both environmental and cost terms this makes complete sense. Changing all our commercial vehicles to electric is more difficult, as most don't have the range we need when fully loaded, but we see this changing in the short to medium term. We do find the administrative side of electric vehicles is much more time-consuming, but maybe that's just because we are still learning like everyone in the industry. We have also struggled to get telematics units into them, but when we do it will be very interesting to see if driving electric vehicles has the anticipated effect on people's driving. For me personally it is a very different way of measuring fuel consumption and our impact on the environment, so it is already making changes to -to day-to-day work, as well as longer-term planning. Question three. What really pisses you off about your work? People always, never the vehicles. 
poor communication between departments and the expectation that fleet can magic a car out of thin air for a new start in the next day, lack of investment in fleet and lack of awareness that our role is critical, although I imagine a lot of back office departments feel the same, being under-resourced so we have to fight even harder to achieve our goals, people speeding, and accidents that could be prevented, I work really hard to stop this, I never want to make a phone call that someone isn't coming home because of a speeding related accident, too many people drive too fast, and it's a lot of effort to tackle that, worthwhile effort though. Question 4. Is technology actually useful in what you do, or do you find yourself just doing stuff in Excel? Excel is still a great tool, and I do make good use of it. I also love SQL which is always my preference for the things Excel can't do or takes too long to do. I have started using R in the last few years and can see the potential of it. If I had more time this would definitely be the way to make the data into information. But I tend to fall back on Excel because I am much quicker with it, and it gives good enough results. As for non-software programming technology, Fleet rely very much on telematics technology, and the changes in this over the last few years have been impressive. MPG figures are becoming more accurate and carbon footprint data too. Accurate data is always the key, no matter what the technology is. And question 5. What is the worst bit of marketing content you've seen aimed at your job, and why? We tried to delete all marketing before even reading it. We just don't have time and if we needed a new supplier we would ask procurement to source one for us. We have excellent working relationships with our key suppliers and are not fans of changing for the sake of it. We dislike generic marketing with no effort to find out anything. For example we don't run any HGVs on our fleet, yet get marketing clearly aimed at large fleets of lorries. A look at our website would make it obvious that it's wasted on us. Just a quick check of our deleted items this morning has shown me an email from Ford offering 200 British pounds off any orders that start on their live chat facility. But I don't know of any businesses ordering their vehicles via live chat so it's clearly aimed at individuals and just looks careless and thoughtless. Companies that overpromise in their marketing and sales pitches are also a bugbear, as we know mostly what is possible and when we think it sounds too good to be true that puts us off. Companies that continually contact us after being asked not to go on a list of those we would never work with, alongside companies that don't admit it's a sales call when they get hold of us on the phone but then it is. We usually ask if it's a sales call when we take an external call. Good marketing can win a contract though. We are changing our telematics supplier and the process was managed by our head of procurement. But the company we are going with made a real effort to reach out to me and my colleague and address us individually in presentations and with examples how they could meet our needs. They had great references to which they were happy for us to contact directly. They were open about what they couldn't do yet, and likely time scales for it, which is more confidence inspiring than telling us the system is a perfect fit for us already. Thank you to our mystery fleet analyst. We've made a donation on your behalf to Changing Pathways, the domestic violence charity. Adam, anything stand out there for you? Yeah, it had me thinking, David. I saw and loved a tweet you wrote last week that said, if your competitor landscape doesn't have Excel at the top, you're failing. And I'm going to guess that was about 10 minutes after you recorded these answers. <laughs> no, it's it's a long-standing thing for a any SaaS business that we write about. 
the truth is most of the customers, if they do something else, are using Excel. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I mean, it, it's a universal truth. You just have to start with Excel at the top and work your way down. I think when it comes to talking about how things actually get done in businesses, it's the mm. default answer. Otherwise, it's it's not being done. They're the two general options you've got to think about, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I picked out was, and I've written it down, we try to delete all marketing before even reading it. I, I felt that like a dagger to my heart. I don't know about you. <laughs> Ouch. Um, yeah, I mean, the amount of you know, time we spend making sure these things work. And if it looks like marketing, they're not even going to attempt to read it. It really does sort of frame up just how big the, the challenges we've got and how we actually have to think about the day-to-day that these people go through when it comes to putting together good marketing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Although it's interesting what people think of as marketing and what they don't. So there's sort of like they're saying, well, we don't read marketing. We just go to procurement if we need something. But they're in the process of installing telematics. Like, how did they find out that they needed telematics? Maybe from a, you know, a, a website or, or, or something else. But there will have been some kind of marketing or comms or, or PR behind that. You know, and similarly, the new telematics supplier has made an effort to address things to them individually and their individual concerns. Um, And so that's probably ABM in there. It's either ABM or sales enablement, but there's marketing involved in there too. So it's probably just there's marketing there, but it's just not what they they think of as, you know, it's not being spammed with emails. Um, I've got to say, one thing I took positively from this is, if a company as big as Ford, with the resources Ford have, are this lazy about what would be a reasonably big com- like customer, like it shows you how low the bar can be, and and that you don't have to do, you don't have to change the world to clear it, right? No, absolutely. Um, much I, I don't want to put anyone down, but you do kind of go, hmm, yeah, someone has not lined up what that is. You know, that's that there's clearly some kind of spray and, and prey going on there. Um, and I really like this fact. And I think it's the thing that Doug Kessler talks about a lot, where they had more confidence in the vendor because the vendor was very upfront about what they couldn't do. I mean, we all think we read something it's too good to be true. Like We do it all the time. But when it comes to actually making the stuff, we forget that we think that. I mean, for example, we hosted a roundtable alongside one of our clients just a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the client did, you know, talk about some delays and some things that, you know, took a while to really get working. And on the one hand, a few people internally were like, oh, I really wish they weren't saying these things. And then we got the feedback from the customers that they loved hearing it and, you know, they were all the happier to hear it. So, Adam, I'm afraid that is all we have time for this month. So thank you so much for co-hosting. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. Yeah, I've uh, had a great time. Um, <laughs> it, it says in the script. <laughs> yeah, it says in the script. Uh, but, I mean, seriously, it's always a great chance to you know listen to Maureen, get on the pulpit and speak. Uh, I'll always be there ready to listen um, and put my sword in the air afterwards. Uh, people can see I actually raised my arm there. That's embarrassing on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The listener can't see that. Um, and, yeah, thanks very much to the listeners for you know, giving us your time this month. Um, Remember, if you'd like to get in touch with the show and tell David why you should be in, in my chair instead of me, you can reach him <laughs> via email. Podcast at radix-communications.com Or you can find him on Twitter as well.
Radixcom. That's R-A-D-I-X-C-O-M. Thanks again, Adam. And thank you, listener, for your time. Uh, Thanks to Maureen. Thanks to our fleet analyst. Uh, And until next time, remember, as far as anyone knows, we like the sales team and we're cooperating as best we can. And nobody can prove otherwise. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.